This is Thank You Heartbreak. Hi, everyone. I'm Chelsea Lee Trescott. As a breakup coach, relationship advice columnist, and the founder of Break Upward, Chelsea is passionate about human beings and their stories. She talks to people about their journeys in love, growth, heartbreak, revelations, and every wound and lesson along the way. This podcast shines a light on heartbreak, showing you that the most crushing experiences are also your greatest opportunity to become meaningful, relatable human beings. Now, let's get to the heart of it. Hi, everyone. This is Chelsea Lee Truscott, breakup coach and podcast host of Thank You Heartbreak. And this is episode 195 with Randy Havison. To skip this intro where I talk about potentially being muted, and God, what else? So many of the things about the dating world these days go to somewhere around the 13 and a half minute mark. Isn't that the greatest name? Randy. Randy, Randy. I love it. I think it's so fun to say. It's a great name. Also, it just, it has that charm. It's exciting. So is my guest. So I think you're going to love this episode. I left in that awkward moment in the beginning when I asked my guest to introduce himself, and it's a little bit of a fumbling moment. An editor might edit it out, but I thought it was fun to hear also this moment where I say, ah, you're muted. And it reminded me, like, I've been talking about getting muted today. So I felt like, you know, timing is everything. So let's keep it in and let me tell you a little bit of something that's been at top of mind, getting muted. Have you heard of this? I mean, we hear all these terms all the time. Like I have writers from all these publications reach out to me and they have me want to talk about new terminology, orbiting, ghosting as we've heard it. I mean, there's so much lingo. It just, I feel like we put a name on everything that happens to us just so if we can call it something, it means that it applies to many people and it kind of doesn't hurt as much and we can understand it more. But anyways, this other thing, but I haven't even looked into it. Like, is this a thing, getting muted? The first time I really heard about it was when I was seeing this guy and he let me know that he mutes women. He mutes women very easily. When they run their course, they get muted. And when the last, the last dinner that I had with him, he said something along the line, you know, Chelsea, you haven't been muted yet. You're not like the rest of them. And it was kind of that like uh, cliffhanger. You know, it's almost like a threat. That's a heavy word, but you know, it feels like, oh God, when is it going to be my turn? Or like, what does it take to get muted? And so there's kind of rejection and judgment hung up with this word. So if you don't know, I mean, it's referring to Instagram. And instead of blocking someone or unfriending them, you mute them. And I'm an active person, not in my feed. I haven't posted in two years, but on stories, I post often. And I post personal things. It's a real look into my life or my emotional life, really. You know, confessionals, writing, bits and pieces of my dating life, screenshots, quotes, all the things. And sometimes it can be obnoxious. I mean, it's videos of myself sometimes reacting to this podcast. So there's so much of me in it that... You don't post on social media, and if you don't do it the way that I do it, it can be easy to be like, ugh, is someone going to judge me at a certain point? Is someone that's paying attention 
to me. They're looking at my stuff. They talk about it with me, that they see my stuff. So they're taking it in. Are they going to get tired of me at a certain point? And I think a lot of my life, though no one would know it because I just kind of do things my way. When I was in relationships in my 20s, I used to always think if I really kind of piece this apart, oh my God, if I do one thing, will that be the end of it? And usually it was like, if I cry too much during the vacation, if I get too emotional, if I, I don't even know. I No, I was never steady. I was never in a healthy place with my relationships. I think I was always never wanting to be in them, to be truthful, or also just really struggling with depression that, yeah, I wouldn't act my best in these long distance relationships. So I would worry that one thing I did when we finally were with each other would ruin it all. And I had this insight years after the fact, as I was walking through my trigger zone, which was airports, since again, I was always in these long distance relationships. That's where these tears would happen. That's where I would walk away from them and think about how I had nothing else in my life. And it was very much a scary feeling. In fact, I know I'm all over the place. I was watching 90 Day Fiance and they, you know, leave their significant other at the airport often, 90 Day Fiance, like they're visiting each other. And it brought me back watching them last Sunday to the emotions and looking back at their partner and waving goodbye and the tears and never wanting to see their face disappear. It reminded me, I'm like, oh my God, I've forgotten. It's been a while. It's been quite a while since I've had that, since my life was that. And I think that I'm so immune to it, but I remembered like that was me, that I couldn't imagine not having this person, my world, near me. I didn't know what else I had. Being a breakup coach and becoming someone that can be a breakup coach has really been a reaction to that, to not want my life to become the way that it was at that point. Now, trust me, I think that relationships are everything. I think commitment is everything. And I definitely put my blinders up when I find someone that excites me in a new way. All this said, where was I even going? Hmm. Oh, that one thing could change everything. So I think there's still just a little bit of that. And I feel that at times with social media, when I see someone that's watching, I'll look at their behavior. I'm being really straight up with you. I'm being very transparent that, yeah, I'll I'll notice their behavior. And people have talked to me, oh, it means nothing. They're not really looking at you. But then the person that I think is looking at me, they'll confirm that they're really looking at me. So anyways, I feel like I've been muted. And yeah. It's juggling that feeling of what did I do last? Why would this have happened? This contradicts, you know, what we said to each other. Why now? Why me? And why am I not different than the rest? If you muted everyone else, well, really me too. So there is that feeling. I could not tell you guys this because this is premature. I could find out that Chelsea, you're absolutely psychotic. He's back. But I just feel deep down that this is it. And also something else very strange happened. Someone slipped into my inbox at the same time. And I don't know, guys, I don't even want to tell you that part yet. I will keep you up to date as it all maybe plays out or if I figure more things out. But all I have to say is you know that I'm new to the dating world. You know that I'm new to the app world. And I am just astounded by how strange people are. And more specifically... It's hit me more and more how much people, I guess, fake themselves and they lie through omission by leaving details of their life out. 
you know, people are much more private than I am. But then there's people that are private for a reason because they're hiding things. Even someone that's so close to me, one of those, like the closest to me. I was at Dumbo House this weekend and this guy came up to me, someone that I had met with this person that I'm close to the weekend before. And he came up to me and he's like, oh my God, I asked this person out to come today to Dumbo House and he said he was out of town. I was like, really? Oh, I asked him to come here too today and he said he was working. And it was just such a weird moment of like, really the person that's so close to me, even he would lie to either me or to this person he doesn't even know for what? for perception. So just all of this, Mm. getting muted, whatever that means, you know, running your course, maybe only having a window of time to impress someone, people being all in on you and then all out. And me never even thinking what that could mean, what that could feel like being muted, not just being blocked, not being unfriended, but being muted, noticing that you've been muted. How do you deal with it? Add to that the complexity, I guess, of dating and the fact that, especially with apps, people put on a presentation, I suppose, I'm finding. And then just, you know, I didn't have relationships like this. I always just jumped in and dove in and committed. But when you do slow things down, you learn more about people in doses. And that's very interesting. It's very new to me to learn about people in doses. I like it. But what I'm finding is that, well, would you believe it? The doses don't always match up to your understanding of them. And I think that's why it's, I guess, important to take things slow. So you let things play out and really see things. But then on top of that, whether it's dating or a friend of yours, there are people out there that are going to, and they won't even call it a lie. You know, they'll call it maybe a white lie. They will uh, stretch the truth, change the truth white lie, fib, lie for perception. And it's bizarre to me. Like, think about this. Let's say you were just working over the weekend and you couldn't go out because you're working. So someone reaches out to you, someone you've met once that you've spent maybe two and a half hours with max. And they ask you to hang out. And instead of saying you're working, you tell them you're out of town. Why would you do that? Maybe you would do it what? So you look cool, unreachable, like you have things going on. And if you're not working, but you say you're working, do you say you're working because no one can argue with that reality? Because you have to respect or admire the overachiever, the overworked person in the room? That it makes you seem like a hard worker to be working on the weekends? What is all this nonsense? But then why do you, uh, just, I can't even wrap my head around it. All I can encourage when I get into these zones of like not understanding, why? What's the reward of faking yourself? What is the reward? It catches up with you. You get figured out. You out yourself eventually. If lying to keep people near you is going to keep them near you and invest in you, so they're investing and they want to hang around you and they want to see you and then you show up, eventually over time, you're going to have to out yourself. So it's better just to do it now than later. I don't get it. My whole thing is when I'm not understanding this, when it just seems too bizarre and unreasonable. And I used to get heated about these things. I like got a moral level, you know, I'm going to tell this person that this is the way it should be done. I mean, just absurd that I used to come at people that way. Now I've learned that really it's an indication of 
this is showing me ways that I do not want to behave. And it's a reminder. It's checking in. In any way that I might have kind of stretched the truth maybe or led someone to think differently about me, perception. Wow, I'm really turned off by what I'm seeing. So this means I need to be even more accurate and transparent with who I really am. And I would encourage that of you. I think it is very easy when you don't understand other people or you're mystified and you feel wronged. Did you hear that? New York is back, by the way. God, the people are out. The motorcycles are out. It's all out. Anyway, it's easy to get down on it and to feel, I think the word is like jaded or cynical and put off. I don't want to feel those things. So I have to find ways that I, I guess, in a sense, protect myself from cynicism and suspicion and letting, you know, a few fools and liars overpower my other understanding and openness to other people. So what I do in these moments is rather than getting caught up on the other person, I make sure that I keep it to them and I don't generalize people. And I also let my reaction to them rather than it being so much about them or how is this a reflection of me? I just try to have it be a reminder to not be whatever way is mystifying me or baffling me or hurting me or causing me to feel uncomfortable. Do not do that to others. Do not present in that way. So there we go. You've heard it. You've heard it all now. That's all I got for you. Thank you, as always, for being here. It means the world to me, and it would also really mean the world to me if you could rate and review this podcast. Be honest. We need your ratings and reviews. So thank you, Heartbreak, can reach more ears. In the meantime, thank you for opening yours to me. So, I would love for you to introduce yourself to my audience. Sure. Go for it. Tell them who you are. Are you there? Now you're muted. I'm back. What happened? I don't know. Were you thinking? Did you think I was going to come up with a different question? It was one of those awkward silences where I felt like, um, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Okay. So you know what my question is, right? If you could introduce yourself. Yes. Okay. Okay. So my name is Randy Havison and I am an author and a professional speaker and now a workshop leader. Mm -hmm. And my main topic that I love to talk about is self-esteem. Because I feel like we're in a society that is based in ego, where it's all about how much money you have, the number on the scale, what zip code, the color of your skin, your gender. And those are just characteristics of who we are, but it's not who we are. Mm. So what I want to do is help this shift happen from being an ego-based society to a self-esteem-based society. Mm. So I've had my own journey. Um, I grew up in a very nice family. My mom and dad and my sister, and we're still very close family. But I made some very poor decisions in my teen years, uh, led me into cocaine addiction and alcoholism. And once I got into recovery, after 11 years of pure hell, I started to do my own personal work and realized, even though this was an amazing family, it was all based on Mm. the labels and the cars and the zip codes. And I never felt like I was good enough. I never felt I had reached what I was supposed to be. I always felt like I fell short. Mm. And that's what led me to start my use of drugs and alcohol because it was like when I was high, I didn't care. But once I got sober and I started to kind of clear the fog, I realized that what was happening 
is I was judging who I was by all these outside factors. And it helped me to start realizing that who I was was on the inside, not on the outside. And even though I wasn't perfect, I was enough Mm. and I was a good person. And this journey has been so amazing and I've learned so much. And I truly believe that every day that I have alive is a gift. So that's why I love being on shows like this. I mean, your work is so important. And to be here and share with your audience and maybe inspire even one person to move towards a higher sense of self-esteem rather than reinforcing the ego, then ah, it's a beautiful day. Mm, a beautiful day. I always say this is the perfect day to be alive. I yeah. that. And you know what? Even now with all this craziness going on, you can either focus on the negative or focus on the positive. And I think we are in a time of transition right now. You know, <laughs> goes along with your show. Transitions can hurt mm-hmm. and they're difficult. And we end up wondering, oh my God, what's coming next? But that's where the strength comes from. And that's the work that you do that is so important to help people with that healing process. Because I think once we come out of this, I think we're going to be better off than we were before. There's so many things I want to say. One is when you were going through recovery though, I imagine that this daunting question initially was, what's going to come out of this? Oh yeah. Who am I going to be next? So how did you embrace that and not panic? I was very fortunate that I found the 12-step programs very soon into my recovery. And I love that saying one day at a time. And I found a mentor that saved my life. And he said, you know what? If one day at a time is too much, do it one hour at a time. Break it down into small chunks. And if one hour is too much, 15 minutes. Mm taking it into small doses takes away that overwhelming feeling of, oh my God, what am I going to do now? So whether it's jumping from college to a career or one job to another job or from a relationship to not being in a relationship, that fear of, oh my God, what now? You know, just be where you are. Let the future take care of itself. Mm. You know, the whole one day at a time, I imagine it's like, today I'm not going to drink or I'm not going to do cocaine. No matter what. Yeah. When that was kind of under control though, within yourself, do you feel like anything else kind of rushed in that you then had to kind of attend to and be like, okay, one day at a time with this? Oh, there were so many, every facet of my life, Mm. um, getting back into college, you know, part of my bottom was getting kicked out of college for the second time and realizing once I got sober, I want my education. I want to find a way to get back into school. So I ended up making that happen and it was very humbling and very difficult to do, but I made it happen. So one of the things I learned again through the support and by realizing that I am a strong person, I'm not weak, I'm strong by being in recovery even one day, I'm I'm a stronger person than I was when I was getting high. Mm. So I had to put that together. I had to learn how to be human with other people again. And learning how to have relationships. One of the things they used to say in the program, and it's so true, I didn't have relationships. I took hostages. Wow. Wait, say more about that. I love that, but explain more. I felt like there was this huge hole inside of me. So I filled it up with alcohol and drugs and women and money and outside things thinking that was going to make me whole. And with the women, I was finding women that were needy. And it's like, oh, I need a man to be whole. I used to find these women and ensnare them 
it was a mutual snaring though, because they were getting something out of it also. But, you know, I like to talk about their A-frame relationships and H-frame relationships. And the A-frame relationships are when the people lean on each other. There's a connection between them, but they're leaning on each other. And if one moves, the other falls. Oh my God. So it's like the alcoholic and the codependent. But the H-frame relationship is two people standing independently with a connection between the two of them. Oh my God. I have never heard this before. I know. I, love I came up it. with that. Yeah. Oh I know. Congrats. Yeah. So that's what self-esteem is. Ego is all about fill me up. Ego is about the A-frame. Self-esteem, when we come into our own, that's when we truly feel that independence and that power and that strength. And you know, one of the things I love to do is speak to sorority women who are still in college and in that learning phase and teaching them about self-esteem and what healthy relationships are really about so that when they really enter the world after college, they have those skills and have that power to be who they're supposed to be and to not feel like, oh, I need a man. No, you do not. You need that relationship with yourself first. And that's why it's self-esteem, self-love, self-respect. Those have to come first. Once I truly learned how to love myself, then I could truly let other people in. Yeah, it's the age-old saying. But I remember, I mean, this is even recent. And I think it's like the least sexy thing that I could ever advise someone or anything that someone would be listening to. I don't know how it happened, but for about a year and a half, I didn't have sex with anyone after my last relationship. And somehow with that celibacy, but really going to sleep and having no options on my mind and having men around me all the time. I was on sets. I was always being filled up by male energy. I mean, I do love Mm -hmm. it, but not having that option. It is unbelievable what it has done for me and how it has empowered me in terms of choice. Because I went throughout this time with, like you're saying, not leaning on someone or not thinking that they were going to be the thing that filled me up. They were the thing that was getting me excited to start my day or to go after this thing. It's unbelievable. But I think so many of us feel like if we pause, even if it's for three months, that life is going to race away from us and we're going to miss out somehow. Right. Well, maybe I'll miss my opportunity to meet him or her. Yeah, or everyone else is going to advance ahead of me and I'll never catch up. But see, that's ego. That thought of what are other people going to think, that's the thought of ego. Mm. Ego is all about, oh my God, how is this going to look? What's this going to be like? One of the differences that I talk about between ego and self-esteem is the difference between being humbled and being humiliated. The same thing can happen to two people. One person is humbled by it. They have esteem. They're thinking, oh my God, I really blew it. But what can I learn from this so it doesn't happen again? Ego is humiliated. Oh my God, what are people going to think? That's what I want to teach people. And through my workshop and my books and all that kind of stuff, I give people the skills and the tools they need to build their self-esteem and to look at where they are and where they want to go and realize it's not an overnight thing. You know, that whole lose 10 pounds in 30 days. No, self-esteem takes time to grow. It's like planting a flower. First, you plant the seed and you water it. And yeah, there's some fertilizer there too. But it's learning how to use the fertilizer for good, not for stinkability. And then it takes time for it to grow and blossom. And self-esteem is the same way. Mm -hmm. So when people do that, it's amazing how my life improved once I started building my self-esteem and feeling better about who I was. I could go to movies by myself. I could go to restaurants by myself. And I didn't feel self-conscious about it. I love my own company. 
One of the things I talk about is self-esteem is about becoming your own best friend. And when you're with your best friend all the time, you're never lonely. I never feel lonely. Never. Even though I could be alone, I'm not lonely. For me, I became so addicted to Adderall. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I, I judged everyone that did cocaine. That would never be. <laughs> and yet I was doing Adderall and basically the same thing. But oh, that boy. was to mask the loneliness, to try to shift my attention away from the fact that I wasn't with other people. Unbelievable. I mean, that was all I wanted for myself for so long was the freedom to be able to go out into the world Mm -hmm. and to initiate an experience on my own and not wait for someone to be sitting with me at the restaurant. Yes. Exactly. You say that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we moved to Orlando, Florida a couple of years ago. One of my favorite things to do, well, before COVID and after I'll do it again, is to go to the Disney parks by myself. Mm. And people are like, what? You go by yourself? (laughs) I'm like, well, yeah, I get to go on whatever ride I want to go on, and I don't have to check with anybody else. I can eat wherever I want to eat. I can stand and look at the ducks for 15 minutes if I want to, and no one's standing there going, come on, how much longer are we going to look at these ducks? I can do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I don't have to have another one there. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love sharing the Disney experience with other people. I love doing that, but sometimes I just want to go by myself. Talk to me about how within a relationship, you could still foster that. Because people think so much like, oh my God, that's why I don't want to be in a relationship. I'm going to have to sacrifice what I want to do, standing and feeding the ducks by myself, doing this thing on my own. Tell me how in like an H-frame relationship, you could still have that independence as well. Oh, that's what the relationship is based on. It's each person is independent, but they find that commonality. So it's like, hey, I want to go to this movie and... You know, sometimes you'll go with the person. No, I don't really want to see that one. Okay, well, are you okay if I go by myself? Yeah, sure, of course. Right. Or hey, let's go to the theater. I'm going to see this movie. You go see that movie, and we'll meet afterwards. Right. And sometimes, oh my God, I want to see that one too. When are we going to go? So it's a conversation that you have. You know, one of my best examples of this. We were on a cruise. There was a couple in front of us. We were on an excursion, going back to the boat. And it was a mother, father, and two kids, young kids, probably six, eight years old. And I could see Iron Man triathlon tattoo on his calf. And he said, you know, I really want to do a workout when we get back to the ship before dinner. You know, is that going to be possible? And she's like, you know, I kind of want to do that too. Okay, how are we going to make this work? How about we get back to the room, you go do your workout, I'll go get the kids showered and ready for dinner. And then when you come back, you can take them to dinner and get started. I'll go do my workout. Then I'll come back. The kids will go to the kids club and we'll be able to have a nice dinner by ourselves. And he went, I really love that. Okay, done. But it was a total compromise between them. Mm. And it wasn't, well, I want to do this. And well, I want to do that. Well, how are you going to do? What am I going to? I mean, it was awesome listening to the way that they talked to each other. And you could tell that this was a really healthy relationship. This might sound very simple to people like listening to this and be like, duh. But I remember the whole idea of we're not going to go to the movie together. We don't want to see the same thing like that ache. We're not going to work out together. What does this mean? I mean, I have clients that are so afraid of stepping out on their own and that someone would get too used to it and decide that they prefer it. So yes, it can sound simple, but I remember feeling like, oh no. We have to do it together. Yeah. And that's so not true. That's an interdependent, enmeshed kind of relationship. 
like my musical tastes from my wife's musical tastes are completely different. I'm like Slipknot, Rush, and Tool, and she's Billy Joel, <laughs> Elton John. Yeah. So I have my friends that I go to Tool concerts with. Mm. And if there's no one to go with, I'll just go by myself, which I love going to concerts by myself too. But Billy Joel came to town one time and she said, I'd really like for you to go with me. I'm like, sure, of course I'll go. Mm. So I went and did that with her. I could have said, nah, why don't you go find some friends and go with? And that would have been all right. But it was like, yeah, I'll do that. But she is not going to the Slipknot concert with me. Right. I would not subject her to that. She has a tough enough time when I'm playing it in the bathroom when I take a shower. Oh, my God. I love it. (laughs) So it's finding the compromise and not feeling like you have to be with that person all the time. And that's when the blunt, honest truth, when we look to other people to fill those voids in ourselves, that's an ego-based thing. And we need to be able to not fill ourselves up with other things, but fill ourselves up with ourselves. And to learn how to feel good about who we are, good, bad, and ugly. And that's the hardest part of self-esteem is being happy with the person that looks back at you in the mirror. And nobody else can fill that up. You have to do it yourself. And it's hard. I'm not going to sit here and say it's easy to do. It is so not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. Because you took yourself through a series of steps, do you think that helps when you talk to other people about where they might begin? Because it can seem like such a, to use the word again, a daunting undertaking of how do you like yourself? Some people don't know themselves anymore. So how do you help someone begin that journey to step into it even? Yeah, well, that's what I lay out in my workshop. And I teach people how to do that. It's broken up into three different parts. And in the first part, I really talk about this difference between ego and self-esteem and how our society tells us that they're the same thing. Mm. But my theory and my belief is that ego and self-esteem are on opposite ends of a continuum. Mm -hmm. That when you build your self-esteem, you deny your ego. When you reinforce your ego, you're denying your self-esteem. So the first step in any change we want to make is awareness of where am I on this continuum? I mean, I started at almost pure ego and worked my way up probably like 75 to 80%. I still kind of fluctuate there, but I don't have perfect self-esteem. You know, maybe there've been a few people in the history of man that have attained pure self-esteem, you know, like uh, Mother Teresa or Gandhi or Jesus or people like that. But me, no, I don't think I'll ever get there. So it's about allowing yourself to not be perfect to not be in control all the time and see where you are on the continuum. And then another thing I talk about are the obstacles that get in the way of growing self-esteem. You know, I believe that life gives us hurdles, but we tend to turn those hurdles into walls. And a wall is much more difficult to get over than a hurdle. Because I think life gives us the tools we need to overcome the hurdles, but not the walls. So when we turn the hurdle into a wall, it's really difficult to get over. So I give people tools on how to keep the hurdles as hurdles and look for those obstacle words and phrases that we use to keep ourselves down and to turn those hurdles into walls. Simple words like can't. I can't leave this relationship. I can't lose these last 10 pounds. I can't. It's not about can't. You know, I can't lose these last 10 pounds. Well, how much do you really want to do it? You know, I used to say that I can't lose these last 10 pounds. Well, you know what? I live in Orlando. I live in the land of churros and Mickey bars. And the choice is, do I really want to give that up? And do I really want to put in that extra energy? And the answer today, no, I really don't. So it's not that I can't. It's like I choose not to. 
Mm. And when I do, I'm going to do it. Because I know that if I can get sober, I can do anything I put my mind to. Exactly. I mean, I can't imagine yeah. what that does for you. Oh, you know, sometimes like, oh my God, how am I ever? And I laugh. I'm like, oh my God, really? Compare this to getting sober and it doesn't even compare. Again, but it's so amazing how we will turn those hurdles into walls. I was just talking to someone yesterday. She said, oh, I'm totally overwhelmed. I said, are you overwhelmed or are you just whelmed? Mm. And she stopped. She was like, I've never thought about it like that. I say, hey, whelmed means you have a lot on your plate, but you're going to be able to take care of it. Overwhelmed means you're going to need some help. And if you don't chill out soon, you're going to lose it. She was like, oh, well, when you put it that way, I'm whelmed. Mm. But she turned that hurdle, all these things that she had to do into a wall. I'm overwhelmed. Mm. But all of a sudden, no, I'm just whelmed. Now it's a hurdle. Little tiny words and phrases can make all the difference in the world. Right. It makes me think about how if you were to trip over a hurdle, you know, like in track, it could be humbling. But if yeah. you turn humiliation, something humiliates you, it's a wall. You'll never run again. You'll never try to jump yes. again. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Do you know how many Olympic hurdlers have tripped over a hurdle? All of them? 100%. Yes. We all trip over our hurdles. You know, I love the movie Captain Marvel. Again, that's another thing. I'm a huge Marvel fan. And the whole thing about Captain Marvel, what she realized when she came into her power, it wasn't how many times she fell down. It was about all those times that she got back up. And all the people that I was saying, you can't. And she was like, uh, yes, I can. And that's when she came into her power. When she realized it wasn't about falling down, it was about getting back up. And the power of hearing yourself say, I have gotten up before. You know, yeah. they say, like, where is the evidence in your past that you have had resilience? You have bounced back. You have been able to shift perspective or heal. Mm -hmm. mm. Right. Yeah, we all have it. It's all somewhere. We have that one thing in our lives that we overcame an obstacle. And afterwards, like, wow, I did that? Yeah, you did. And it's using that power and using that energy you know, I also talk about the energy ball that we have inside of us and to tap into that whenever we really need it. And the more you work on your self-esteem, the bigger that energy ball gets where it can just be huge. I used to be a therapist too, and I would work with clients on self-esteem and they'd come in after a couple months and, oh my God, it's so funny. I had half a dozen people ask me this week, did you change your hair? Did you do something different? Because there was just this new glow about them that people are like, wow, what's different about you? Mm. Share the connection between having more energy and having more self-esteem. Yeah. Okay. So the energy ball, this is another one of my theories. And I go into it in, in the workshop in more detail than I'm going to go into it here. But we all have an energy ball. And day to day, the energy ball is either the size of a ping pong ball or it's the size of a beach ball. And a lot of times we give the power and control of that energy ball to other people, places, and things. And that's an ego thing. You are in control of my energy. Oh, you're just draining me. Oh my God, you just fill me up. Or, oh, I just got a raise. Oh my God, my day has been made. I mean, yeah, be happy about it, but that doesn't define you. So it's about taking charge of your energy ball and doing the things you need to do. And I talk about the way to build self-esteem is to exercise and nourish the four parts of self. And that when we do that on a regular basis, our energy ball just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And we're in control of it. And then we're in control of who we choose to give our energy to. 
Mm. I watch a lot of people that are afraid to say no. But, you know, there are people out there who are like, I call them energy vampires. It's like they look for people with big energy balls. Like, can I just talk to you about my problem? And you're thinking, oh, this is the same problem they've had for the last six months. And they're not willing to do anything different. And they feel bad saying no. So like, oh, sure, go ahead. And oh, well, blah, blah, blah. And he did this and she did that. And, and all of a sudden, they're filling up their energy with your energy balls. So you end the conversation going, oh, my God, I'm exhausted. Thank you so much. Oh, my God, I feel so much better. Mm. You don't have to do that. It is okay to say, you know what? I love you. You're my friend. But you've been dealing with the same thing for the last six months. When you're willing to do something different, I will support you and I will help you in any way that I can. But if you want to stay here and be in this situation, there's nothing I can do for you. I'm sorry. I love you, but no. Yeah. I was talking to someone about this and I was saying at a certain point, you have to stop investing in someone's education. I have been sitting with you, trying to empower you. We're talking about it. You do nothing with it. So obviously you don't want to graduate from this part yet. Yeah. But let me know when you're ready to graduate and I'll be there to see you down that, that aisle or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And the power of saying no. And that's a self-esteem thing. The ego part of it is I can't say no. What is she going to think of me? What are they going to think of me? What kind of a friend am I? But you're actually being a better friend by saying, no, I love you, but no, I'm not going to continue to listen to this. God, I, I bet people in the sorority house need to hear that. Let's. Be oh, right. yeah. Oh. Uh, yes, they do. And I love being able to share that. And, and I can tell, you know, it's like they're not looking at me anymore. They're kind of staring off to the side and you can tell that the wheels are turning. Totally. Yeah. And especially with, God, with relationships, it's so important to have your boundaries. Explain this. What does this mean? I, I never understand boundaries. <laughs> oh, boundaries? Oh, boundaries are, this is an infringement on me and I'm okay with this. It's having that boundary of if I help you with this, I'm not staying with integrity for myself. Okay. So, you know, the person who uh, drinks to excess and then they're always looking for that ride home. And there comes a point where it's, you know what? You have to take a look at your drinking because I'm tired of coming and bailing you out of this all the time. Mm. I'm not willing to do this anymore. So it's having that boundary of, I'm not going to put up with your dysfunction any longer. Mm. And it's hard. It's so hard. But once you practice, it's much easier. Boundaries keep you in integrity. Yes. And I'm trying to think about ways that when you're dating, that you can have these, I hate to say call them expectations, but things that feel like you want to stay in integrity with who you are. You don't want to just bend to everyone else's will to appease them. But at the same time, you can have boundaries that someone doesn't meet. And that doesn't mean you get rid of the person. I'm going to try to think of an example. Okay. So on Saturday is my birthday. So oh, happy birthday. I'm, oh, God. I hate birthdays. But I'm seeing no. someone. Oh, no. Yeah. Birthdays are awesome. It's a celebration. I know. Yeah. yeah. I'm always so reflective on those. Cool. Days. So I was thinking, though, that for some people, I guess inviting someone that you're starting to see could seem like a big step. But for me, it's just, I'm an inviter. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that you and I need to be in a certain place or you're going to meet all my friends or mm -hmm. there's no pressure to that. But let's just say that the yeah. guy that I'm seeing is like, I'm not ready for that yet. So he decides not to be with me on my birthday. Now, can I bounce back from that? 
can I be okay with, it would have been nice to have someone that I'm starting to care about to celebrate with, and it just would have added energy to the night. And can I say that was important to me, but also let him be on his timeline without giving up on him? Mm, Oh, that's a tough one. Here's my thought. When I met my wife, she told me how important her birthday was to her. So I was like, all right, mental note, birthday is important to her. There is no way I would say, oh, well, I have plans that day. I'm going to go do something else. That would be completely disrespectful of her. Right. Now, if I was like, yeah, my birthday, no big deal. I don't really care. And I was like, well, would you mind if I went and did something with my buddies that night? There's a concert that night or there's a game that night. No, go ahead. But when I knew that that was important to her, I make sure I put up the happy birthday banners and she always gets a nice card and a gift because I know that that's important to her. Yeah. And I guess the vulnerability is allowing you to be honest about what matters to you. So if you were to say, hey, my birthday doesn't matter whether you show up or not, and you're trying to make it cool for the other person, but inside, no, you have something that you need. I think that that's where you have to step out and not be worried about the ego of, oh, I might have to take a hit to this if this person doesn't honor what I said is important to me. Right. And part of being in a healthy relationship is being honest about what's important to you. Mm. Yeah. But I think people fear honesty, especially early on in relationships, because they think that it'll look like needs and someone will drop out of the race. And if they do, bye-bye. You know, look for the red flags. (laughs) And if too many are there right from the gate, you know, one of the things that I was really big on back in my dating life was this is me. This is who I am. If you're not comfortable with that, God bless you on your way, but you're not the person for me. You know, my first date with my wife, it's like, we both like sushi. Let's meet for sushi. We went to my favorite place. I'm in jeans and a sweatshirt. And I don't even think I shaved that day. Right. (laughs) I'd show up for a first date and the women are like dressed up and in the full makeup. To me, that was a red flag. I mean, there's a difference between looking presentable and looking nice and going that extra, oh my God, I want him to like me. No, be yourself. Just be who you are and attract someone who appreciates that you're just being yourself and not putting on any air of anything else. I feel you. I think it's better in those in those ways to have people drop out faster. Well, and also it's how people don't feel dupes later on. Mm-hmm. Well, you were someone that always presented yourself this way in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you probably don't remember the Benny Hill show? No. <laughs> that was before your time. You're talking about birthdays. I just celebrated my 60th birthday in March. You're kidding me. No. Oh, I love my birthday. And I couldn't have a party because of all the stuff going on. So I'm going to have a killer party. Once all this is over, I'm going to do a welcome back to society and our new normal. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to have a huge party. For my 50th birthday, I had a Peter Pan party. It was (laughs) awesome. Yeah, it was so much fun. So no, just because you get older doesn't mean you have to get old. I have more energy than a lot of the 30-year-olds that I meet. Oh, I feel that. Yeah. I love my life. Yeah. When I tell people I'm 60, they're like, what? But it's just a number. What were we talking about, though, when I got off on birthdays? Mm, I'm ADD, too. Uh, I know know what I can ask you though. Yeah, go for it. What part of yourself now do you see in the person that was an addict? Is there something that you can still relate to about yourself now and yourself then? Oh, yeah. Oh, that part of me is still there. Mm -hmm. You know, those parts of myself never go away. You know, it's like the story of the white wolf and the black wolf. 
Do you know the story of the white wolf and the black wolf? Is it like, which one will you feed more? Yes. Which one do you want to feed? I looked up that story because I would tell that story a lot. And then I wanted to really read what the intention was behind that story. And there's more to that story beyond which one do you feed? Mm -hmm. And beyond that story is, but do not starve the black wolf. Mm. A starved animal will strike out with aggression. Keep him fed enough so that he stays calm. Mm. How do you do that as an addict? How I do that is I realize that I'm still very impatient and it's like, I want it now. Mm. So that characteristic is still there. When that comes up, it's like, oh my God, I want this now. I just created this workshop. I want to sell a million copies now. It's like, you know what? Just chill. It'll be all right. You're going to get there. Trust the universe. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. It's going to be all right. And 80% of the time, I'm able to just breathe and chill and not get caught up in that rush of, I got to do it now. So that impatient part of who I am uh, is still there and still pops its head up every now and then. It pops up whenever I'm in the car. You know, one of the things I didn't know, I just got my ADD evaluation like seven years ago. (laughs) And before then, I just thought I was just wacko. And part of the evaluation that the psychiatrist did she was asking me all these questions and she said, are you an impatient driver? I was like, oh my God, yes. She said, you know, that's a sign of ADD, right? I'm like, mm. I had no idea. She said, yeah, people with ADD have a tough time driving because it takes so much concentration on the road and what's going on that it's hard for ADD people to focus on the road. And that's why you're so impatient. I just want to get there. It's because the impatience of driving. So I do not like driving. I know I have to do it. And the funny part is I have a part-time job at Disney. I'm not working right now, but I'm a van driver for, I I know it's leaned in, leaned into it. Yes. Oh, it's so much fun. When I'm driving the van, no impatience at all. I'm talking to guests and I'm going from a resort over to one of the parks and I'm just having a good time. And there's zero impatience, but I get behind the wheel to go home. Get out of my way. I just want to go home. Mm. So yeah, there's, you know, that part is still there. Um, Let's see other parts. uh, I get scared sometimes and like irrational kind of fear type things. Oh my God, what's going to happen with this? But I can calm that down pretty quickly, realizing, you know, what's behind the fear. And when I can do that, I'm usually a lot happier. There are definitely parts of me that are still there and they'll always be there and I honor them. And a lot of those became my survival skills when I was in that world. And if I didn't have those things and have those skills, you know, I might be dead. So every characteristic makes up who I am and I want to honor them all, not ignore or shut away. No, I don't want to do that. It's like it's part of me. Speaking of death, I was talking with someone that is also sober and he was telling me that a great amount of people that have saved his life are now no longer alive because of Mm -hmm. their sobriety. Have you experienced that as well? Oh, yeah. Really? Uh, When I was nine years sober, my sponsor relapsed at 11 years and just disappeared off the face of the planet. No one knew where he went. It got so bad for him in his relapse. He had no veins or anything back. He was shooting heroin into his eyeball. No, no. I know, I know. How, I, ugh. And then he just disappeared. 
And I thought, oh, great. His brand of sobriety is only good for 11 years. Right. Of course. I, I imagine yeah. you did. Oh, my God. Yeah. So when I was approaching 11, it was like, okay, what's going to happen? Uh, but now here I am with 36 years. So I'm a believer anything is possible if you just get out of your own way. You know, so I didn't have to give into those fears and those worries and concerns. And I just kind of went through it. And all of a sudden I was 11 years and 11 years in one day and 11 years in one month. And I know a lot of people who died who didn't get the recovery thing. So that just makes me more grateful for what I do have. You know, my best friend, Todd, I got sober and he didn't. And he gave sobriety a chance a couple times, but it just, he couldn't stick with it. He ended up dying with a needle in his arm and I still miss him. And it's really hard to know that Todd is no longer here, but he's now part of my higher power. So I kind of draw on his energy whenever I'm going through a tough time. It's like, okay, what would Todd say right now? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Come on, man. You've been through rougher times than this. You'll get through it. And then I do. Yeah. So that's the hard part, but it's also very humbling to know that I'm still here. But I got to tell you, one of the differentiators that I've seen of those who make it and those who don't is the difference between those who are stuck in ego and those who are willing to embrace self-esteem. When you look at uh, eating disorders and addictions and domestic violence and bullying, those are all symptoms of a deeper core issue, which is a lack of self-esteem. And if we can raise the self-esteem of our society, those things will go down. You know, unhealthy relationships, violent relationships, you know, that's such an ego. I can't leave him. Uh, yeah, you can. There's so many supportive services out there. And it's an ego thing. He needs me. You know, he only hits me. He only yells at me every now and then. But, you know, that's just him. No, it's not okay. Mm. It's so important to stand up and say, no, I need to have the self-esteem to say, I'm not putting up with this anymore. What do you think that people most misunderstand about what self-esteem is? <sighs> That's a really good question. Wow. You know, again, I think it comes back to this message that we have all received from the time we were little kids, that you are your zip code and a number on a scale. I mean, look at the way advertising, you know, Madison Avenue spends billions of dollars every year. So when you open up a magazine or turn on the TV, you're fed these messages of what success is, what happiness is. Buy this car and you'll have a smile on your face. Actually, what started my whole journey into self-esteem, I was watching TV one day and a commercial came on that said, do you want to grow your self-esteem and feel better about who you are? Buy our product, grow more hair, and you'll have more self-esteem. And I thought, what? My self-esteem depends on how many follicles I have on my head? That is ridiculous. And it kind of opened this door to this new thing that these messages that we hear, we think that that's the truth. And it's not. Ego and self-esteem are not connected. You are not your relationship. You know, our grandparents and our great-grandparents were raised in an era where you got married, you had your job, you had your kids, and it was like this, you know, Stepford type of a thing. And that's all they knew. But for men to talk about feelings, Mm -hmm. for women to talk about, hey, you really hurt my feelings, they just didn't do that. And now we're evolving to the place where I think it's vital for people to share their feelings and to know their feelings and to get in touch with their esteem and to know who they are and be okay with the good, the bad, the ugly, start treating yourself like your own best friend because we're evolving as homo sapiens into this new level where it's important to get in touch with that part. 
mm. and not shutting it down anymore. Mm. You know, anger is an ego trait, whereas sadness and hurt are self-esteem. And what most men do is they take their hurt and take their sadness and they turn it sideways and it comes out as anger because that's acceptable for men. Right. I mean, think about how many of the world's problems would be solved if men could talk about their hurt and their sadness rather than turning it into anger. And then for women, one of the things I noticed when I was a therapist, a lot of women don't allow themselves to be angry. Mm. So mm. they turn their anger into sadness. Mm. And they'll say, oh, you really, you really made me mad. It's like, wait a minute. Well, why are you crying? You're angry. And anger is a human dignity. Anger is that boundary that says, no, it's not okay for you to talk to me that way. Wow. No, it is not okay for you to touch me that way. No. And putting that boundary up, that's a self-esteem thing. Wow. Oh, that's good. That's real good. Thank you. What is the pep talk you would give women to encourage them that, listen, it's not that men don't want to talk about feelings. They've been raised that they're weak if they do. They need an outlet. How could you encourage women? Go there, initiate it, make this happen, talk, feel. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, there's this guy named Randy. He has this workshop online. Go listen to it. <laughs> it's hard. You know, there are a lot of, actually, there's some really good books out there. There's an awesome one that really helped me on my journey. It's called King, Magician, Warrior, Lover. Mm. It's about the four archetypes of the masculine. And it talks about the balance between, you know, for the king, it's the balance between the weakling prince and the tyrant king and how to find your balance within those. And it, it uses the four archetypes, you know, the warrior. It talks about don't be the weakling shuddering in the corner, but don't be the barbarian that destroys everything in its path. Learn the balance in between, you know, to be the samurai where I can be, you know, I protect myself when I have to, but basically it's that strength that I tap into to live my daily life that keeps me going. Mm. So that book tends to be very powerful. And again, when someone's open to it, to looking at self-esteem and feeling better about who they are. All of a sudden, the solutions will just come into their life. It's like when you're open to it, you'll see it. Totally. That's true. But, you know, not to go into total self-promotion, but, you know, this really is what I address as a starting point for people in my book and in the workshop is how to really begin that journey into more positive self-esteem. I really feel like that's why I'm still around. And, you know, one of the things that I did when I first developed this workshop, I talked to a lot of my colleagues and they're like, oh, you need to charge like $120 and you can do this into three segments. And I'm like, you know what? That's not me. That's not what I want to do. You know what? It's 40 bucks, 39.95. But you know what? If you are a healthcare worker, a first responder, frontline, a student, an educator, or you know what? Someone who listens to your podcast, click the button that says $9.99. Buy it for 10 bucks. The cost of a coffee and a scone at Starbucks. I just did that. <laughs> <laughs> and just if you can learn one new thing about yourself, then isn't it worth it? So I want to make this as accessible as possible to people because I am so tired of all the ego out there. I listen to some of our leaders talking about, you know, don't worry about that. And it's all about this. And, and it's total ego. And there's nothing about taking care of the person, you know, wearing a mask. I wear a mask to protect you, not for me. And I would appreciate if you would wear a mask to protect me. So I don't need to wear a mask. It's my first amendment right. That's ego. 
I have a lot of ego with it. I feel very humiliated when I wear my mask. So you are, you know, you're, I, I hear, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I hear it. You're absolutely right. <sighs> yeah. But see, okay. The humiliation you just said. So yeah, it's an ego thing. Yeah. No, it is. I feel self-conscious when I'm wearing a mask. Yeah. But when you think about it, what if on the off chance you're asymptomatic and you have it and you're at Starbucks and there's a little eight-year-old kid next to you and you go, hi, and you give that kid coronavirus. What if on the off chance, if there's even a small possibility, let me ask you this. Do you wear your seatbelt when you drive your car? When I drive my car, yes. When I'm a passenger in an Uber, no, but yes. Okay. So you're doing that on the off chance there's an accident, you're protecting yourself more. Yeah. And it's become automatic for us. And masks are going to be the same thing. It's going to be the norm for the next year. Really? It just is. Oh, yeah, probably. I don't know for sure. I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to put anything out there. But, you know, wear a mask, big deal. But if you're protecting someone else or yourself, isn't it worth it to know that you're being more conscientious and helping the people around you? Yeah, you certainly don't want to look like an asshole either. Yeah, but you know, it's hard for me too because I like smiling at people and they don't know I'm smiling at them. I know, exactly. Yeah, but if it just saves one person, you know, one of the things that I heard, I don't know if this is too crude for your show or not, but one of the examples I heard is that if we're both walking around naked and I pee on you, you're going to get it all over yourself. But if you're wearing pants and I pee on you, then you're not going to get very much on you at all. But if we're both wearing pants, none is going to get on you at all. So that's why we wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> you can edit that out if that's like... No, I'm just it. thinking about all the various fetishes that people have about being peed on. Well, yeah. Okay, but... That's where I go in my mind. It's just an analogy, just a story. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, yeah. So... That's the way I look at it. And, you know, another movement I want to start is the whole we over me. You know, me is about ego. What's in it for me? But we is about what can I do to make my society better? So I actually came up with these t-shirts that are on my website that say we over me. And it's we and me put one on top of the other. It's like a reflection of the other. Hmm. I like that. Thank you. That's a message. You know, this whole thing about you know, wearing a mask, that's the we. I'm in this with you and I want to help heal this thing. Me is about, I don't need to wear a mask. I feel self-conscious about it, so I'm not going to do it. Mm. So that's why it's important to do it. We over me is the difference between someone who uh, protests the Black Lives Matter movement and those who are rioting and looting. So there are many instances we have of the we over me. And I really think that it's a self-esteem over ego thing too. What about when you're dating How can we differentiate between me over we? When you're dating, it's looking for the commonalities Mm -hmm. and not excusing the non-commonalities. And I'm a believer that we all have our non-negotiables. Okay. And when someone that you're dating is not meeting your unconditionals, that's the time to get out, no matter how hard it is. If they're not going to meet those, if they're not going to respect your unconditionals, then that's not the person for you. No matter how cute they are, no matter what kind of car they drive, again, those are all ego things. The self-esteem thing is, is this someone that I harmonize with? Mm, Yes. Is this someone who's going to respect me, my boundaries, who I am, or are they going to look to change me? Mm. I don't want to be changed. The only change I want to make are the ones that I choose to do myself. 
I don't want people telling me what I need to do in order to know. Uh-uh. Skip. Exactly. Next. Yeah, totally. It's amazing how we barely know someone, right? And we're going to mm-hmm. park our car and, you know, beg them and talk them through and try to convince them to change. It's like, why not just keep driving along? Take whatever yeah. you had, the awakening that you had and keep going. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll never forget the line that's like, you know, we think that we can change everyone else so easily, but we can barely change ourselves. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. We look outside for the fix rather than going inside. Yeah. And that's why, you know, building self-esteem is hard, but it's so worth it once you do it. What do you think is one of the best qualities to have these days as you're dating and with self-esteem? I'm trying to think like, I think adaptability is huge. Here's what I like to say is, you know, we all like to say that we have a value system, but what I ask people is, I'll ask, like, do you have a value system? And it's like, well, yeah, I have a value system. Well, what are your three or four core values? What are they for you? And for you, one of them might be adaptability. It could be any one of those, you know, there are hundreds of values that we could name, but what are the three or four that are most core to you Mm. that are going to be your unconditional? This is who I am. And when I did that work, what I came up with is my core values are respect, integrity, courage, and honor. So whenever something comes up in my life, I test it by those core values. So if someone gives me too much change at the store, I don't say, ha ha, they gave me too much change. Yes. I say, oh, excuse me, you gave me too much change. Because if I take that change, I'm going against my integrity. True. So I'm not going to do that. And I want to honor other people for who they are. So if I want to sit there and go, oh, well, they do blah, 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 then I'm not really being honorable about that. So when I stay within my core values, then I'm in more harmony with myself. So what I encourage people to do is to find your own three or four core values. And if you're dating someone, you're with someone who is not respecting your boundaries and your values, then that's not the right relationship for you. And that's hard to say, but it's so true. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I love talking about, building self-esteem is like running a marathon. If I get up today and say, ah, what do I want to do today? I think I want to run a marathon. (laughs) I'll get about a mile and a half and collapse. I couldn't even get that far, but yes. Exactly, right? Maybe walk, you'll get a block. But the thing is, if you want to run a marathon, the first thing to do is to go buy a pair of running shoes and today go walk around the block. Mm -hmm. And then tomorrow, walk two blocks. And then in a couple weeks, walk a half a mile. And then maybe a month from now, two months from now, jog half a mile and walk half a mile. I wanted to do a 5K. I actually did this. And I tested out what a mile was around my neighborhood. And I went for a run. And about three blocks into it, I got tired. So I walked. And then once I wasn't as tired, I ran. And then I walked. And then I ran and I walked. But I did the whole mile. And what I found after a couple months, I was able to run the whole mile. And then I ran two miles. And first I did my wog. I call it a wog, a walk jog. And I would do that (laughs) until I could run two miles. And I worked my way up to it. So building self-esteem is not going to happen overnight, but you build up to it. And every step you make, when I could run that first mile, I felt so good about myself. I was so empowered. I felt different. Yes. So as you're building yourself, it's not about getting there. There is no there. Wow. It's about the journey along the way. 
So it's doing that. And then once you're there running a mile, running five miles, no big deal. Running a marathon? Yeah, I could run a marathon. So it's about enjoying the journey along the way and building up to it and your self-esteem will increase along the way. And that's where we find our true happiness. How do you define freedom? Ooh, man, you, you have some great questions. Wow, you're a good host. Um, how do I define freedom? Mm-hmm. Freedom is when I am being true to myself and living the life that I want to live while accepting the limitations that are around me and without impinging on other people's freedoms. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Mm. that feels good. So I'm sure when you were using drugs, you were not feeling very free. Oh, I was, I was trapped. Yeah. Like you said, hostage. Oh my God. Yeah. I was a total hostage. I had no choice. It's like, I would listen to the radio and a certain song would come on. It's like, I will go find some cocaine. Even though I had no money and no way to do it. I mean, I prostituted myself. I stole money from people. I mean, I did horrible things back in those days, which are so far from who I am now. But that's what I had to do to continue to get my fix. Mm -hmm. So I was a total slave to the drugs. There was no freedom whatsoever. What do you say to people that could hear that you did those things back in the day and judge it as if that's who you still are. What do you say to something like that? Like, I, I know for my, myself, I realized because I used to be judgmental in those ways. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh my God, if someone thought that I could still have an eating disorder and wouldn't invest themselves in me or that yeah. I would still choose to take Adderall, I would actually be a little bit insulted because they have no concept of my capabilities now. Mm-hmm. So how do you handle that? Here's one of the best things that I've ever learned through my entire recovery. And it took practice and practice and practice. And the more I raised my self-esteem, the more I was able to live into this saying. But the saying is, what other people think of me is none of my business. I've always hated that one. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm like, tell me what people think about me. What do they say? What do they say? No, 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 no. Here's why. Okay, Chelsea, I would do a presentation at a conference and I get the evaluations back at the end. And let's say there were 100 people in the audience and 80 of them would say, oh my God, this was so great. I learned so much. And 15 would go, eh, I've heard it before. And five would say, this sucked. That was a total waste of my time. Who is this guy? He's a total imposter. Nothing he said was for real. And where do I want to put my energy? And I used to go, oh my God, they didn't like my talk. Oh, that's so horrible. Oh, they didn't like that part. Oh my God, I need to change my presentation until I realized, no, 80% of the people who were there really enjoyed it. Mm. And 15% hopefully got something out of it before they left. And 5%, hey, I'm not going to make everybody happy. I am not on this planet to make everyone happy. And sometimes I just don't resonate at the same frequency as some people do. It's so funny. People either really like me or they really don't like me. Polarizing. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Because I consider myself to be a very strong person. So I'm either going to really resonate with you or I'm going to feel like nails on a chalkboard to you. Yeah. I've been told that too. And it's kind of like, but like to me, the worst thing that you can be is a freaking chameleon. You know, like just playing to every single person. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, there's going to be something about you. Let's say that there's, you know, this strength, right? 
And Mm -hmm. not that people dislike that, but it could trigger them because they're not matching that yet. We all know that. We have Mm -hmm. felt that before. So it's not even that the five people that couldn't stand you is, you know, some literally can't stand you, but others, it's just that they're not there yet with you and they they have to hate you in order Mm -hmm. to not hate where they're at. Yes, exactly. And you know, here's the thing, you said this about the chameleon and, and it's so great. I haven't used this one in a very long time. When people play the chameleon, that is a total ego thing. They're trying to make everybody happy and change colors. But sometimes you change colors so many times, you forget what your true color is. For sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know how they say that like, um, when you say so many lies, you can't keep up with the truth. Like you, you lose track of the truth. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine yep. for a chameleon that they, you yeah. know, I, and you know what? And I've learned this through my podcast actually is that, you know, hearing all these different stories about breakups and stuff, there were so many women that would come on and they would always say like that they were this chameleon in every relationship. Mm-hmm. Oh, what music did that guy like? They would start liking it. And at the end of these relationships, it was a cycle of not knowing at all who they were. Well, that's yep. an example of what happens with a chameleon. They totally forgot themselves. Exactly. And that's total ego. Yes. That's what the ego is. As long as you're happy with me, I'm happy with me. No, 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 no. It's the other way around. You know why respect is one of my core values? Because I used to think if I can do things that get your respect, then that means that I have more value. But what I've learned is that I need to start with self-respect first. I need to learn how to respect myself. And once I do that, other people are just going to be drawn to that and respect me. Totally. Whether they do or don't, that's not my issue because I just don't gel with all people and I'm okay. I remember one time I was leaving this meeting and there was this guy there. I really liked him. His name was Andy and he always had some really good stories and he was funny. And after a meeting one time, I was like, Andy, Hey man, how's it going? And I went to give him a hug. He goes, you know what? Could you not hug me? I'm like, sure. Yeah, I'm okay with that. He goes, and you know what, if I can truly be honest, I kind of think you're an asshole and I really would prefer if you just didn't talk to me anymore. Mm. I'm like, wow, okay, well, I'm really sorry you feel that way. I think you're a really good guy, but yeah, I can respect that. Sure. Yeah. Good luck, man. Mm. I'll see you around. But I didn't have to say, oh yeah, well, you don't like me. Well, I don't like you either. Now that I think about it, you know, you're not that great either. Yeah, but no, it's like, I'm comfortable with that boundary. I'm bummed because he seemed like a good guy. But here are 30 people over here that I do hang out. Randy, you kind of come to coffee with us tonight? Sure. Hey, you want to go bowling on Friday night? So I chose to hang out with those people and not put energy into one person who didn't like me. Okay, he doesn't like me. Fine. Right. It's kind of when I think about breakups, sometimes with an actual need to be the enemy just so they can get over you, quote unquote, they can move on. And I used to back in the day, it's like, no, let them, I got to work on them seeing me in a different light and them understanding and not having this resistance toward me. It's like, you know what? That's their choice. If they need me to be the enemy, if this guy needs to hate you, let them hate you. Let them think of me as the enemy. It's their story. If I got to play that role, that's what they need. It's out of my hands. And that's sometimes the heartbreak, but it's also just the continuation for it. Once the relationship is over, close that book and put it on the shelf. Mm. No more, oh, what is he going to think? And, oh, I have to put on this. No, that's, that's the ego. Mm. What is he going to think of me? What is she going to think of me? That's ego. Mm. Self-esteem is, you know what? It didn't work out. I wish them well. I wish them all the best, but that is not the right person for me. Mm. And it's hard to get there. But, oh, when you do, 
It's so freeing. Talk about freedom. Exactly. To not be so caught up in what other people think and what are they going to do? And, oh, nah, it doesn't matter. If you just want to sit there with a pint of ice cream and watch sad movies, fine, go for it. Heal at your own pace. Heal as you want to, but make sure you heal and you don't wallow. Wallowing, not healthy, but healing, yeah, definitely healthy. Because I'm an advocate too of saying like, you know, nothing about me has been overnight. And Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people, because we are sold on things being quick, the quick fix, it just is, it's too much to think of something could take years. But you know, at least that road was moving me towards something. And that to mm-hmm. me really is freedom, knowing that once you've got this stuff, it cannot be taken from you. Yes, yes, exactly. See, ego can be taken away and given. Totally. Self-esteem, nobody can give you self-esteem or take your self-esteem away mm. because it's all on you. You build your self-esteem. No one can take your, you, you could say to me, oh my God, Randy, you are the worst guest that we ever had on this podcast. And I say, oh my God, I'm so sorry you felt that way. I had a really good time talking to you, but that's not going to take away my self-esteem. But the thing about self-esteem is that, you know, one of the things that I talk about is nourishing and exercising the four parts of self on a daily basis, the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And when we do those every day, we're making little victories with every step. So it's not looking for that quick fix. I want to feel better today. If you do these things today, you're just going to feel better six months from now or a year from now or a month from now. Mm. So it's little things that you can do day by day that are going to help to build that over a period of time. So I coined the word break upward and I'm curious what it means to you. Love that. Uh, What I see that meaning is when you break up with somebody, you can either see that as a failure on your part, or you can see it as a learning experience. Mm -hmm. And what did I get out of this? What did I learn from this? What do I want to not ever do again? So when you look at it as a learning experience, then it becomes a positive thing that you've done for yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's where you break upward. You know, it's funny. I have a friend who does this um, work. She talks about what if up. Because what if is one of those phrases that turns a hurdle into a wall where, oh my God, what if he breaks up with me? What if the job doesn't work out? What if this happens? What if that happens? And it's all this fear and anxiety that just turns a hurdle into a wall. But she says, no, do a what if up. What if you do this podcast and you get a million people listening to it? What if I do my workshop and I sell a million copies? Wow, all the philanthropies that I can now be a part of and all the good that I can do for foster kids and people who are struggling with homelessness. And you know, my big dream is I want to be a commencement speaker at a college mm. and get up there and say, how many of the graduating seniors today have student loans? And they raise their hand and say, I'm paying them all off for you today. I want to be able to do that. So my main mission in life is to be a major philanthropist. And in order to do that, I do my work to sell my workshops. So what if I sell a million and I'm able to do this kind of work? What if I go on these podcasts and I have a really good time and I am, oh my God, this is probably the most fun I've had in a podcast in a long time. Really? You're awesome. Uh, Yeah. Oh my God. But see, this is what I like. I like the conversational stuff and not just, you know, I have this list of questions and let me go through them. 
the list, it's just so limiting. It's like, I want to go out into the world and trust that because of this podcast and not having the list of questions and knowing how to listen, that I could navigate anything if I bumped into someone. If I rely on a list, I don't trust that I can go out after this and go meet someone and feel like I could get somewhere with them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And the people who are drawn to this really appreciate that style. And those who want the regimented list, they're like, yeah, she's not for me. And they can go find another one. But that's not true to yourself. It's kind of like you're saying, like, with the breaking upward of what was the growth here for me? And for me, it's like, yes, this is a podcast bringing on guests and all the goals there. But if it could also be something where I have this new life skill then that's also the growth opportunity. So for me, it was like, how could I engage? How could I have this dynamic where I'm going to get something out of it that I need for myself to build up myself? And that looks different for everyone. But I think that's what's important about taking anything on. It's just not just for one reason, but another. Exactly. Yeah. And it's what can I learn from this? You know, I had a business years ago and the business ended up failing. And for about six months, I had this thought in my head, my business failed, that made me a failure. And then it occurred to me after doing all my journaling and my writing and back to therapy and talking to friends and all that, I realized that just because my business failed, it didn't mean I was a failure. It just meant that now it's time to turn the page to something new. Yeah. And I did. And we ended up moving to Orlando and I got to write my book. And now I get to be a guest on these podcasts and, oh, what a dream. And if I was still running that business, we wouldn't be talking right now. Exactly. Everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. And just going with the flow, it's so much easier than trying to control everything. Mm. Control is an illusion. Control is an illusion. Also, I just want to go back to this little image I have of you, which I love so much, is that you driving the passengers around the guests and enjoying so much those moments. But then when you're on your own in your car, you can be like, you know, this driver that wants to go faster and has no patience. But it's incredible when you can take a similar experience and look at yourself and be like, wow, I come alive in those moments and I'm so connected with people and that impatience isn't there at all. It's like, I wonder what it is that why you're able to be that way. Do you think it's because you're around other people in that car in the van? I think partially because I have a responsibility Mm. to the people that I'm with and to the company that had hired me. So I think I have a responsibility there. And part of my, you know, the honor and the respect is to Mm. respect my employer and the people who are there. Mm. And it's just fun. And, you know, there's no rush in getting them to wherever they're going. And, you know, sometimes I, we're talking so much, I miss a turn, (laughs) but that's okay. At Disney, everything, you can get there multitude of ways. So, but there's no pressure. There's no anything. And I'm having a lot of fun, but I think it comes down to, I want to make sure my passengers are safe and happy. And if I'm like, Oh my God, look at these tourists on this road, that kind of ruins the experience for them. And I'm not willing to do that. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, there's this exterminator that I really got in along with over the years. And I came back in town uh, a few days ago and he came over the weekend and he had this guy that he was training. He's like, oh my God, thank God you're here. I've told this guy all about your apartment. He wants to come in and see like the Christmas tree and the light show. You know, it looks like a club inside my apartment. Nice. And they were going nuts. And they're so complimentary. Okay, I'm seeing about all the people they see and how many people let them into their apartment and it's the freaking exterminator that they don't want to see. They never talk to them. And I was yeah. like, I feel like, you know, I do not 
not have the things that people would qualify usually as success. And I'm like, yeah, listening to these guys and watching them, I'm like, I'm in a sweet spot. Like there's an exterminator that's bringing another guy in and we're excited to see each other. And this happened by treating those small moments where you can overlook people, you can think it's a nuisance and treating it like this human moment. And like, you know, for you with the people in your car, you want that to be part of the enjoyable experience of Disney. It's like when someone comes for their job, I want this to be a reprieve along the way. Mm-hmm. For me too. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know, it's funny that you say that because some people get in the van and they look at me like, oh, you're my van driver. Yeah. And they treat me that way. And, and I just kind of chuckle inside and, you know, I'll ask them questions and they're like, uh-huh. Yeah. Washington. And it's like, okay, I'll just let them have their, their space. But a lot of them, it's like, we get into these great conversations. Oh, okay. I haven't talked about this one. Can I tell you a really funny story? My favorite van driver story? Yes. I have this mom, dad, and this little boy in my van. And I said to the boy, so how old are you? He said, I'm seven. I said, oh, that's such a great age. What grade are you in? He said, I'm in first grade and I love school. Mm. I said, well, good for you. He said, yeah, I love it so much. I'm going to go all the way for my master's degree. (laughs) I said, really? I said, you know, I have a master's degree. He said, huh? You have a master's degree in van driving? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But from his reality, I'm a van driver. Yes. It's so funny how people look and judge just by, because I'm wearing a costume, you know, that day as a van driver, people want to treat me like I'm a van driver. Don't see the whole of who I am. But when we treat people like people, you know, when we built our house, I would come over here pretty much every day and the electricians are here. Hey, you guys, can I buy you lunch today? They're like, what? Yeah. Do you want pizza or Wendy's? Yeah. Uh, pizza. It's like, all right, what kind do you want? What time do you want it here by? And I would order them pizza and I'd come over with water and I'd bring them things. And it's amazing because they're neighbors who are like, they didn't do that at our house. I'm like, really? Oh, wow. I thought they did that to everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. But it comes back to you. You know, they're working in the Florida heat. They're building my home and I treat them like human beings. And it's amazing how people really appreciate that. I've had to do some, I use the word, I guess, humbling jobs. Mm -hmm. And in the past, you know, never thought this doesn't make sense for me. Now I'm sorry, I wish I had done it all earlier. But, you know, kind of like you, um, like, for example, catering at weddings, right? And you Mm -hmm. can see in these moments where, yeah, someone could treat you like the help. And it never got down to me. It was another way of seeing what other people are like. And Mm -hmm. having that information is empowering and learning to roll with it and how to handle it. It's like, I've actually loved those moments. And it reminds me of when I was younger, I used to be very eccentric and I would have the craziest hair. And depending upon my hair color or how it looked, people would treat me differently. And I always Mm -hmm. loved having that information. Like I'm the same person and yet how people see you, they treat you differently. And sometimes that can sound discouraging, but it also is a reminder that if it feels discouraging, it's just more evidence to not be that way. Just be the person that's not that way. That doesn't just see people as what their role is for you that day. A much bigger picture of other people's lives and stuff. Exactly. And accepting people for who they are rather than who you think they should be. Mm. But that's part of it. The more we accept ourselves and respect ourselves and do respectful things towards ourselves, then we're able to do that more for other people too. Mm -hmm. Well, tell my audience where they can find you. I'm here. No. Um, (laughs) My my website is randyspeaks.com. 
And on the website, it has, you know, bio and all that and information on where to get the workshop, information how to buy the book, products like my t-shirts, the We Over Me. I also have another t-shirt that, you know how there are those t-shirts that say, I'm with stupid or one of those with the arrow. Well, I have one and it says best friend and the arrow is pointed up towards the person's face. So I love wearing that one. And I have another one that says love yourself. And I sell journals that have love yourself on the outside. Because I think journaling is a very important tool as you're learning how to exercise and nourish your emotional self Mm -hmm. and your mental self. So I have a journal there too, but all of my products and my workshop and my books, all that is uh, randyspeaks.com. Congrats for putting it together and putting it out there. Oh, I'm so happy. (laughs) And getting to meet people like you is so cool. I know. I feel so... uh... Fortunate. You were just sent to me in yesterday. I found out about you and here you are now. I know. Who knew? Yeah. And if you ever come down to Orlando, let me know. We'll go do a Disney day together. I'm from Miami, so I'll be there. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. Let me know. And because I work at Disney, I get free tickets. So I'll hook you up with a free ticket. Oh my God. Look at that. Wow, Randy. (laughs) Oh my God. Thank you for everything. Congratulations on being the person that, you know, shifted away from ego and it's kept you clean and inspiring people and Mm -hmm. just full of life. You know, that's the biggest thing. Like you really are alive now. Yeah, totally. Thank you. And, And I love being here. And thank you for being such an awesome host. You really are good at this. I'm glad you found this as part of your calling. If this episode resonated with you, it would mean the absolute world if you could pass it on and let other people know about it. How you can support this podcast is really just sharing it, telling people about it. If you know someone that's hurting in their heart, tell them about Thank You Heartbreak. And if you want to be a guest on Thank You Heartbreak, reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Thank You Heartbreak, or you can email me directly at Chelsea. C-H-E-L-S-E-A at breakupward, B-R-E-A-K-U-P-W-A-R-D dot com. And if you're interested in one-on-one coaching sessions, you can visit my website, breakupward.com slash shop, where you can check out directly from my site. It's a super, 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 super simple process. Of course, I will answer any of your questions before you book. And again, you can email me at chelsea at breakupward.com. There's many different coaching options. And I would love to show up for you as you begin to show up in more wise and clarifying and secure ways for yourself. Thanks for listening, everyone.